Close and far is like already happened and not happened yet, Calla replied. Chapter 48, page 341, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're, and we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Circle podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers where angsty breakups abound. Wait, were they even dating? <laughs> This is episode 27, and we're covering chapters 44 through 49 of The Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on some character tropes relating to Kavinsky. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We'll use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. I don't know about today. <laughs> we are not doing great already. <laughs> All right, let's get into the episode. Okay. <laughs> we are just going to dive right in. <laughs> <laughs> so, chapter 44, it's a Ronin POV chapter. Ronin has a breakthrough on his dreaming, makes some connections about dreaming in Caveswater, and royally pisses off and breaks Kavinsky. Now, we left the end of the last chapter with Kavinsky saying, Now you dream the Camaro. And chapter 44 starts here with, Now it seems simple. Pill, beer, dream. And this routine seems to be part of what helps Ronan get more control over his dreams. Right. Practice makes 100 white Mitsubishis, as they always say. <laughs> and he thinks that the Camaro was no more difficult to imagine than any of the other dream objects, just larger. It was entirely a mental block, not a block based on his abilities. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And then in, beat, out, beat, like a motherfucking thief. <laughs> The leaves on the trees shivered above. A bird sobbed distantly. Caveswater is voicing its disapproval of the way he's doing this. I also underlined this. Mm -hmm. And Orphan Girl adds her disapproval as well, shaking her head at Ronan as he gets out of the car. He shushes her and ignoring her warnings and Caveswater's that this is hurting Caveswater, his dreaming, like mm -hmm. just... And then he wakes up with a perfectly imperfect pig. His eyes open on a morning sky with a glory red Camaro. I can picture it shimmering in the sunrise. Mm -hmm. Down to the scratch on the door where Gansey had backed into an azalea bush. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first sensation wasn't joy, but relief. He's rightfully terrified of Gansey's reaction, and fixing this is what's most important to him right now. Mm -hmm. Rightfully because he did a really stupid thing. Right. <laughs> and Gansey wouldn't really not let him back. This right. is his trauma and anxiety talking. Absolutely. And then the joy hit. It was worse than Kavinsky's green pills. The poor boy doesn't know how to process being happy and excited anymore. He's just mm -hmm. been so... In a bad place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'd been so proud of the puzzle box, of the sunglasses, of the keys. How stupid he'd been then, like a kid in love with his crayon drawings. But everyone has to start somewhere. Uh-huh, absolutely. This was a car, an entire car. <laughs> He'd been so kept in the dark with his own abilities that he doesn't even know that he has already dreamed an entire human. Mm -hmm. And he dreamed an entire bird, like, yeah, before. Yeah, living <laughs> things, one would think, are more complicated, but mm -hmm. an entire world. I love how in the audiobook, Will Patton does this in Kay's voice. Mm -hmm. 
Kavinsky sounded unimpressed. I thought you said you fucking knew this car, man. I hear this in Will Patton's awful Kavinsky voice in my head. And when I read it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the defect was immediately apparent. There was no engine. The plane at the beginning of the book doesn't have an engine either. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me as a little odd as someone who is as into racing and things that go fast as Ronan is would not think about the thing that makes these things go. Yeah. My thought was, is interesting that he felt like he had to think of an engine. Mm -hmm. It would probably run, of course. If it worked in the dream, it worked in real life. But that was no comfort. Mm -hmm. Gansey wouldn't want a perfect pig, a pig that ran Sans engine. He would want his pig. He loved the Camaro because it broke down, not despite it. Gansey has similar taste in friends and cars. Yep. My note was Gansey and his savior complex. (laughs) Kate tells Ronan to kill your brain. Tune in, turn on, drop out. Mm -hmm. But it also indicates that it is more about intuition. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why this is so freaking funny. Put his petunias and shit in there. (laughs) Talking about the empty engine block Uh area. (laughs) And Ronan, he was weary of his dreams. They felt as tattered as the night horror's wings. That fraying energy. Mm -hmm. Kay says that he's sure he'd like this one. And if he doesn't, fuck him. (laughs) There would be no fucking of Gansey. Adam, on the other hand. Oh, (laughs) gosh. Yep. Um, This car was a very pretty lie. Ronan, not a liar. And then he says, this is a very shitty goldfish. (laughs) Ronan blames Kay. Mm -hmm. Kavinsky had said he'd teach him. He was not taught. And I'm actually not sure whose side I'm on here. Ronan is a notoriously bad student, but is not a bad dreamer. But Kavinsky has a point. Kavinsky practiced a whole lot. Yeah, I come firmly down on Kay's side. It is not at all his fault. Ronan needs to take responsibility for his own bullshit on this one. Yeah. It took me months to get it right. Months. How long? Months indicates that he's been doing it for probably the whole spring. And if that's the case, I really dislike the fact that Ronan is blaming Kay for draining the ley line for Cabe's water. Because if Kavinsky has been doing this for months, then that means that he has possibly been doing it far before they even discovered Cabe's water. So to blame Kay for Cabe's water disappearance is completely unfair, in my opinion. And he even talks here about dreaming sustainably. I get it wrong, try it again, wait for my dream place to get its juice back, do it again, get it wrong, do it again. It's like, he doesn't talk about doing it over and over and over until it damages the energy of the late line. Mm. Yeah, and Ronan says, what do you mean, get your juice back? And again, it feels like Ronan's being kind of slow on the uptake here, Mm -hmm. because obviously, like, all the dreaming is draining the late line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Even if he had been doing it before they found Cape's water, mm-hmm. like it's not all Kay's fault, but it is still contributing to the loss of the power. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I just, for example, he dreamed a tank the year before. Mm-hmm. Like he's been doing this for a long time. That's true. They really mm-hmm. cannot lay the blame for this on Kay's Solely feet. on Kay. Right. Yeah. Kay himself here says, it's getting low now. Can't you feel it? He seems pretty well keyed into the capacity of the dream energy. Mm -hmm. Ronan says, I need it now or I can't go back. Question, do we really think that Gansey would kick him out? 
I don't think so. Yeah, it just seems like anxiety brain to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to be pissed, he but will. I don't think he'd... Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and Kaminsky says, you don't have to go back. And this may be the saddest line in the book. There's a real, like... Pathos. Yeah. Yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, this is the heartbreak of Kavinsky and Ronan. Kay wants him to stay so badly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Ronan doesn't even comprehend this as a possibility. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it even worse. This was the most nonsensical thing he'd said since this entire experience had begun. Ronan didn't even acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And compare this line to Ronan saying the same thing to Adam. Man, you don't have to get out here. Right. In chapter 36 of The Raven Boys. Mm -hmm. So Ronan says, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it right this time. And Kay responds with, hell yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. And Kay is being genuinely supportive for a second here. Like, he's he's actually being mm-hmm. supportive. Yeah, he's been supportive all along, but just in a very Kavinsky mm-hmm. way. Absolutely. <laughs> Kavinsky poured a handful of green pills into Ronan's palm. Ronan pocketed them. Chekhov's loaded pills? Mm-hmm. I know he does scramble for pills later, but mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think he gets them out of the dash of the Mitsubishi. But then at the line, I really like, he was wasted on dreams. Mm-hmm. And Kay put an impossibly red pill on Ronan's tongue. Ronan tasted just an instant of sweat and rubber and gasoline on his fingertips. Sexy and summery. Mm-hmm. What's this one do? Ronan asked. Kavinsky said, dying is a boring side effect. It's a mantra of two suicidal boys goading each other on. Uh-huh. Then, wait, I changed my mind. But there wasn't any going back. This also feels like a nod to suicidal ideation. Yeah, yeah, it does. This wasn't the hurtling to sleep pill of before. This was liquid fatality. He could feel his brain shutting down. And that would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. This is where I got that concept of Kavinsky's pulse actually stopping when he was dreaming before. Uh-huh. Ronan feels, imagines mm-hmm. Kavinsky running his fingers down his tattoo and it feels gross and invasive. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the total opposite of him dreaming Adam doing it. Right. And, you know, let's be clear. Even though Ronan obviously feels some kind of attraction to Kavinsky, Mm -hmm. if that was real, Kavinsky is committing sexual assault. Yeah. Enthusiastic Mm -hmm. consent only. Yep. This is drugged, non-consensual touching. And it is that exact parallel to the dream. And yes, Ronan is incredibly uncomfortable and anxious with Kavinsky touching him versus the dream Adam's touch. And there mm. are fans who argue that there's no evidence that Kay is actually touching Ronan, that he's hallucinating. But we see over and over and over that Kay gets in Ronan's space and touches him without consent. Right. And this is just the most egregious example. The fuse inside him was burning to nothing, nothing at all. That was Ronan's thought. Mm -hmm. Ronan feels like Kavinsky's finger is going to stab him, making a wound like this pill. No coming back. It seems like if Ronan accepts these touches from Kavinsky, he's feeling like it's something he won't be able to recover from. Mm Mm-hmm. So Ronan half opens his eyes and Kavinsky is just doing a line of coke off the roof. He might have imagined it. What was real? And question, what do you think? Was Kay actually physically touching him or was it a dream or hallucination? It's it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels in character for him to do that. Mm-hmm. But it also feels in character for that to be something that Ronan imagines. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, I can see arguments either way. Gotcha. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. A post from Maggie's Tumblr for Kids TV asked, Okay, I'll take the bait. How fucked up is Kavinsky really? I'm expecting at least a five on the Richter scale of heartbreak. And Maggie answered, Okay, I'll take the bait back because I'm young and crotchety. (laughs) Readers can interpret events of the book in all sorts of ways, obviously, but here are things that happen canonically in The Dream Thieves. And there's a lot of stuff, but the one that is most pertinent to this passage... Kavinsky touches Ronan's head, taps Ronan's teeth with a pen, leaves stuff at Ronan's home when he knows he won't be there. Kavinsky gives Ronan a drug that renders Ronan immobile and barely conscious, and then, while Ronan is helpless, and only then, sensually touches Ronan's body. Ronan tells himself this might be a dream. So yeah, Maggie says. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, extra canonically, but... Mm. I like the point that's just below that one that Ronan tells Kavinsky they will never be an item, but Kavinsky keeps texting him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky tells Ronan that consent is overrated, mm-hmm. which echoes him continuously stepping into Ronan's space without permission. Right. Then there's a paragraph here. I very much enjoyed writing Kavinsky. As a character, he challenged and delighted me. And I really wanted him to challenge and delight readers. One of the main ideas I'm exploring as I write The Raven Cycle is the question, how much are you a product of your upbringing? And can you overcome the terrible parts of it to become something better? All of the characters engage with these questions, which I find fiendishly interesting in real life. Kavinsky and Ronan both get the same set of circumstances and handle them in very different ways. It is a choice. So do I like Kavinsky? Out of all of the characters I have ever written, he is one of my favorites. Top four, probably. Or five, since four is an ugly number. But he's a terrible person, more terrible because he chose it every step of the way. A logical backstory is not justification for trampling over consent, for kidnapping, for harassment. Mm -hmm. So Ronan falls asleep, wakes up in Cave's Water, and Orphan Girl, who is crouched on the other side of the Camaro, her eyes are sad. The leaves quivered and faded. He felt this place's power dissipating. It's like, finally, finally you're getting what's going on. Mm -hmm. Ronan, whispered Orphan Girl, why do you steal from us? She was faded as Noah, smudgy as the dead. Poor Opal. Yeah, so drained. Ghosts and dream creatures. Mm. But he didn't hide this time. He wasn't a thief. Many thieves, one Grey Worm. Yep. He hadn't stolen Chainsaw, the truest thing he'd ever taken from a dream. Well, the that being the truest thing you've ever taken from a dream is debatable. Because there's Matthew. But he didn't know about Matthew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like the puzzle box... Chainsaw seemed to be a gift that he didn't ask for. Mm, That's true. But my heart just clenches at the truest thing he's ever taken from a dream. It's like, I'm not crying, you're crying. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't going to steal the car. Not this time. Please, Renan said again, let me take it. He's learning here. Like, this is this is progress. His heart thudded as he rubbed pollen-covered fingertips. This was a memory, not a dream. Mm-hmm. Even down to the seat burning his skin. From that foreshadowing brick Maggie hit us with back on page 237. Mm-hmm. This was something he needed to remember when he dreamt. This feeling right here, heart thudding, pollen sticky on his fingertips, July pricking sweat at his breastbone, the 
smell of gasoline and someone else's charcoal grill. Every blade of grass was picked out in sharp detail. If Ronan could dream like this moment felt, he could take anything out. He could take this whole goddamn car out. Mm-hmm. Call it by name, said Orphan Girl. Ronan works on fairy tale logic. Mm-hmm. True names have power. Mm-hmm. And this makes me stop to muse on the fact that they so often use nicknames in these books. Yeah. Kavinsky grinned in the windshield at him. Ronan sat in the driver's seat of the pig. Kavinsky being genuinely happy and supportive again. I know, I wrote, he's so excited for Ronan. Uh huh. Ronan's racing mind, putting everything together here, is such a neat breakthrough moment for him. I kind of feel bad that it comes at the cost of breaking Kavinsky. Yeah, I think I view this a little differently because Ronan rejecting Kavinsky, I think, has nothing to do with the status of Caveswater, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I'm saying more of his revelation helped him get the pig mm-hmm. and therefore he has what he needs and he and doesn't he, need Kavinsky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's no, I'm It makes me sad. <laughs> it's a terrible way to treat someone. Yeah, it is. Yeah, my theory with the way that those thoughts are strung together, mm-hmm. it, it really has far more to do with Niall draining the ley line and Ronan only having the power to manifest Caves Water after Niall was killed. But it's like Kavinsky, in many things here, he's just unfortunately a really convenient scapegoat, in my opinion. Uh huh. And Ronan has basically used Kavinsky like a booty call. Yeah. Like, this is just another example in this book of two people not communicating about their expectations. Mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't happen in real life. Not that it hasn't happened to me multiple times. I think it's obvious that Kavinsky honestly and genuinely thought that spending the weekend teaching Ronan how to dream would mean something to Ronan. And from Ronan's point of view, there was never, ever going to be a time when he was even considering joining up with Kay in any way. Right. And then they get nasty with each other. Ronan says, I'll send flowers. It's so dismissive. And Kay falls back on his jealousy of Gansey, mm. running back to your master. Mm. Kavinsky genuinely can't understand why Ronan, who is so incredibly powerful, would ever let himself be what Kay considers subservient to another person. Uh-huh. Gansey's dog. It's right. It's like... Every villain is a hero in his own mind, and Kavinsky feels like he's giving Ronan the tools to break free from what he sees as an oppressive relationship. Yeah. And Ronan is an asshole. Yep. This was fun, Ronan said. Time for big boy games now, though. (sighs) Hey, Ronan, fuck you. You don't get to use people like this, and not to say that this excuses Kavinsky's actions later. The difference between us and Kavinsky, Gainsey whispered in Ronan's head, is we matter. And Gainsey was being a total ass there, Ronan. <laughs> yeah, hey, Gainsey, fuck you too. Mm-hmm. And Kavinsky is genuinely undone, uncomprehending. You don't fucking need him. You are shitting me. He's so hurt. And Ronan just doesn't get it. He says, I never lie. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Wait, you thought... It was never going to be you and me. Is that what you thought? You're just now picking up on this, Ronan. (laughs) Yeah. Kavinsky's expression was scorched. K and fire again. Mm -hmm. There's only with me or against me. And this situation shifts so dramatically, so fast. Yeah, and I didn't put it in here, but that's like 
really codependent dude, like, with me or against uh-huh. me. And Ronan thinks, which was ludicrous. It had always been Ronan against Kavinsky. For you, Ronan, but obviously not for Kay. Mm-hmm. It was never going to be you and me. This is a direct line with the Adam and Blue conversation later. Yeah. I will burn you down, Kavinsky said. He just ends up burning himself down. Yeah. Ronan thinks that he had already been burned to nothing. You wish. I wonder, does Kay dream of Ronan? And one of the most iconic moments in The Dream Thieves, Kavinsky made a gun of his thumb and finger and put it to Ronan's temple. Bang, he said softly, withdrawing the fake gun. See you on the streets. (sighs) People being assholes. Yes, absolutely. We'll put the deep dive in here. Shannon did most of the work. (laughs) I I put up discussion topics and then she wrote about them. (laughs) So... Okay, so we're going to go into here a little bit about some tropes that relate to Kavinsky. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things we thought of when discussing these tropes is the queer-coded villains trope. Mm -hmm. Queer-coding, much as the name suggests, refers to a process by which characters in a piece of fictional media seem or code queer. Mm -hmm. This is usually determined by a series of characteristics that are traditionally associated with queerness, such as more effeminate presentations by male characters or masculine ones from female characters. Mm -hmm. These characters seem somehow less than straight, so we associate those characters with queerness, even if their sexual orientation is never a part of their story. In a vacuum, queer coding would be neutral, neither positive or negative portrayal. Mm -hmm. But thanks to the Hayes Code, a set of rules governing American filmmaking which was adopted in 1930, but not seriously enforced until 34, and the very similar comics code adopted in 1954, the coding of characters as queer often leads them to being villains. This is because both of these codes stated that crime and immorality could never be portrayed in a positive light. Mm -hmm. If someone performed an immoral act, they had to be shown being punished. Mm -hmm. And homosexuality was included under immorality. Mm -hmm. So even though neither of these codes are in effect today, it led to a conflation between behaviors that code queer and behaviors that code villain. Mm -hmm. Some quick examples of other characters who this occurs with are Scar from The Lion King or Ursula from The Little Mermaid or pretty much any Disney villain, really. Yes, yeah. James, pretty notorious about yeah, it. Yeah, James from Team Rocket and Pokemon, and Jareth from Labyrinth. I don't, sure. I mean, it's uh, David uh, Bowie. He He's coded as Faye. <laughs> 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 it's David Bowie. He's everybody's got the hots for David Bowie. <laughs> well, maybe not everybody. There are people who don't, but still. Shh, Jareth and his pants are talking. <laughs> Oh, I kind of want to, I would need to search for this. But at one point, I had gotten an ask on my personal Tumblr about my favorite fictional character, and I picked Jareth. Mm -hmm. But I was like, somehow I have a thing for possibly gay, queer men, kidnapping baby brothers, (laughs) and forcing the heroes to go on some sort of hero's quest. (laughs) No. Could be Jareth, could be Kavinsky. Who am I talking about? Don't even know. Pick one. Uh, I have a type. Yeah, I had to mention Jareth when I saw it on the, on mentioned the list. On the, uh, on the list that, that I saw. But yeah. If I have to be known for anything, that's fine. Okay. 
Mm. But yeah, there are definitely hints of this trope in regards to Kavinsky. He has a lot of bravado and machismo, but there's definitely a lot of homoerotic, just barely, if you want to even call it just barely, subtext. Uh-huh. Um, the subtext is rapidly becoming text. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, like, there's a lot of that subtext along with that. And Kavinsky's reaction to Ronan's rejection, which is both a romantic rejection and a platonic rejection, mm-hmm. that eventually leads to Kay's demise. Yeah. And that kind of leads us to another trope that we see hints of with Kavinsky. Bury your gaze. Right. This is a trope which is also tied to Hayes and Comics Code influence, in which a character who's revealed as queer is promptly killed off. Mm-hmm. We never get a definite canonical confirmation that Kavinsky is queer. But the subtext is basically text. Mm-hmm. And he does die at the end of the book where this is revealed. I would also argue that Welk and Greenmantle also code queer and villainous mm-hmm. and both die as well. But none of these deaths feel like punishment for the behaviors that code them as queer. Right. And importantly, we have other openly queer characters who don't die. Right. So I wouldn't say that the Raven Cycle really falls prey to either of these tropes. Awesome. Thank you. Would you agree? I would agree. I do think that there is something to be aware of with the possible damaging associations of a queer kid committing suicide. And I think that is the hard thing with Kavinsky. Mm -hmm. Because we do not get his POV, and because we are only dealing with unreliable narrators that obviously already have a preconceived notion of who Kavinsky is, we don't get to see what actually tips him over the edge. One of the things that I didn't put in the notes, but there are so many people who say, well, Kavinsky deserved better. Well, obviously. I mean, Mm. if Kavinsky was a human being that, you know, was flesh and blood and an actual person in our lives, we would do everything we could to help Kavinsky. It also isn't Ronan's job to help Kavinsky. Precisely. And Kavinsky basically blaming Ronan for his suicide, which he basically does at the end. That also is not something that you want to lay in someone else's lap. So Mm -hmm. one of the most fascinating things about him as a character is that, yeah, he deserved better. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he deserved better as a fictional character. He is an incredible encapsulation of a particular life experience that a lot of Mm. queer kids might see themselves going through. Mm -hmm. Could it possibly be damaging that that's the path that he takes? Yes. But like you said, then we have Ronan representing this other path that it becomes more healthy. Right. And so... Because they start at a very similar place. Right. Exactly. They start Mm -hmm. as in that post that Maggie said like they're given the same set of tools Mm -hmm. and one could say Kavinsky and Adam are given the same set of tools almost you know Mm -hmm. and the fact that they each take those sets of tools and build a different life well Kavinsky made those choices and Mm -hmm. the choices led him to the path that he took not a path that we would want anyone to take in reality right and the other thing is that people have asked like why doesn't Kavinsky have a redemption arc when the gray man has a redemption arc and the gray man is a killer and he killed one of the Mm -hmm. parents of a main character and Kavinsky didn't. And it's like, not everybody gets a redemption arc. First Mm -hmm. off, it is fiction. And secondly, we see again, the POV of the gray man. So we get to see the steps that he takes to redeem himself. Right. Not just 
the steps that we are seeing from an external perspective of Kavinsky. And, you know, people have said, well, like, would you write more where Kavinsky would be redeemed? And Maggie's next book after The Dream Thieves is called Sinner. And it's kind of a standalone novel based off of her Shiver trilogy. Mm -hmm. And the main character, Cole St. Clair, he's a drug addict. He Mm -hmm. has got a lot of problems. And he is very similar to Kavinsky. And Maggie has said that Cole St. Clair, if you want to read that Kavinsky redemption arc, read that book. Because that is taking that Mm -hmm. same set of circumstances, that same personality or that same muddle, that same soup, Mm -hmm. and taking it through him redeeming himself. Right. It's out there. It's just a different book. Yep. And there were a couple of other things that people have pointed out as possibly being harmful stereotypes Mm -hmm. that are represented. Things like Eastern European mobster. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of a throwback of Cold War era media. Right. And obviously, I don't think that that was intentional either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, I definitely don't think there are any intentional, like harmful stereotypes here. Mm-hmm. I can see how some people could read some of them as being mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe this isn't so good. Right. But, but I think in general, it was handled pretty well. And I think the with Kavinsky having like an ethnic background that is different than the others, like with Blue saying he had a face that was obviously not from Henrietta, mm-hmm. that others Kavinsky in a way Mm -hmm. again othering him in a book where he is the antagonist but that could have been balanced out by providing other characters of ethnicities or people of color that's true which is not included in this set of books but hopefully will be something that is included in later books Mm -hmm. and it's something that she said that was a detriment to the raven cycle Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it's the raven cycle is a whole lot of white boys yeah (laughs) rich white boys yeah exactly i mean and and, And that's what it's about right and the point of the raven cycle was class but i can see how obviously race could have been folded into uh-huh. the raven cycle absolutely which we've talked about before slightly <sighs> okay right. so back to the discussion chapter 45 as an adam pov chapter the fairy god Ganses bestow their gifts upon adam Ganzi and adam take off back to henrietta Gansey in the Suburban and Adam in his new-to-him POS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this would be Sunday morning, I believe. Uh-huh. I think that's what, yeah, I think what so. it ends up being. So talking about the car that they give Adam, the vehicle was but one of three objects Adam had acquired that morning. As each of the other Gansies had gone out the door, they'd all bestowed a gift, eccentric fairy godmothers. And it really does feel like a fairy tale. Yep, it was literally my note as well. (laughs) Richard Gansey II handed Adam a checked vest. It was not even a gift, it was an order. Gansey's dad can be such an ass. Mm -hmm. He may not have meant it this way, but this is kind of like, here, take this thing I don't want anymore. I don't care if you don't want it. I have decided you need it. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't quite take it that badly, but since when did Adam take orders anyway? Yeah, that's true. Mrs. Gansey gives Gansey another mint plant and gives Adam a rubber plant, saying, You boys never think about feng shui. 
And I looked up both plants, what they're supposed to be in feng shui, Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to bring financial success. Awesome. And to define feng shui for folks who might not know, it's a Chinese geomantic practice in which a structure or site is chosen or configured so as to harmonize with the spiritual forces that inhabit it. It's also orientation, placement, or arrangement according to the precepts of feng shui. Mm Mm-hmm. As much as Adam hates accepting anything from anyone, he doesn't feel able to refuse because it was a plant and he had ruined their Saturday. Adam, it's okay for something to be about you for once. Yeah, it's like, geez, poor kid. Mm -hmm. He'd ruined their Saturday, but he'd entirely lost his Saturday. Whatever made him Adam had just vanished while his body shambled on. That is a horrifying thought. Yeah. And Ronan also lost his Saturday. Mm -hmm. So again, it makes me wonder if the amnesia had anything to do with Ronan and Kavinsky pulling the energy from the ley line and Caves Water forcing Adam to come fix it. Hmm. It might. It might have. It's a good point. Gansey holding his tiny mint plant, Adam struggling beneath a five-gallon pot of rubber tree. This feels like such an eloquent analogy for the burdens these boys carry. At least from Adam's perspective. It's like privilege is thinking, hey, we're both carrying plants, while not realizing how tiny your mint plant is in comparison to your friend's rubber tree. <laughs> I, I'm like, this is a good point. <laughs> I only said that is a huge effing plant. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I did not go into class comparisons, <laughs> but good point. <laughs> Helen and Gansey, for that matter, show their skill at spin here. Mm-hmm. I think I would buy their, will you take this beater off my hands and save me the trouble of donating it? Story. Heck, I almost bought it and I just read it like <laughs> a few chapters yeah. back them planning this. Yeah. Again, I can't imagine anyone buying that Helen ever drove the Hyundai Yoda, but hey, it worked. Uh-huh. And, you know, she mentions that Herndon is the supposed drop-off point. Mm -hmm. And Herndon is, A, actually quite a ways from D.C. Mm -hmm. And, B, the last name of the family that makes up about half the community I grew up in. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Adam thinks, the author felt imaginary. Consciousness was being played on a movie screen. I'm not sure if Adam is sensing some deception here or just thinks it's too good to be true or is just still not altogether. I noted it as distanced from the reality of what's happening around him. Uh Uh-huh. Three Gansies, three gifts, and three hours back to Henrietta. It's like, I know we said we we were going to stop noting threes, but it's specifically pointed out here. I know. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Adam was in the peculiar position of knowing how to rebuild a clutch better than how to operate one. Good thing Ronan gave him lessons, huh? Uh Uh-huh. It was nothing, but it was Adam Parrish's nothing. He also thinks this about his apartment at St. Agnes. It was nothing, but it was Adam Parrish's nothing. How he hated and loved it, how proud he was of it, how wretched it was. Mm-hmm. On page 57. It felt like he'd always been here in D.C., born in the simmering asphalt petri dish of the city. I love this phrasing, though I don't think I've ever seen a simmering Petri dish. Yeah. (laughs) If your Petri dish is simmering, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Probably. It definitely implies hot, sticky, disgusting, and full of bacteria. Yes. He dreamt Henrietta and Aglumby. It was taking everything in him to remember that there was a future beyond this immediate moment. I've definitely had moments like that where it's just, this is my life forever. Like, nothing's ever going to change. Yeah. It also still seems like he's feeling the effects of the transient global amnesia. Uh Uh-huh. I think probably so. 
And he thinks to himself, just get back so you can find out dot, 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 what? Yeah. I, I'm like, find out. There's so many things. Mm-hmm. No one really trusted Adam's new vehicle to make the drive across the state. How are they getting home originally? Oh, they had the Suburban. But Gansey is driving the Suburban to follow Adam home. Oh, yeah, I get. And Helen Hel has to go to fly uh, Aaron, to Colorado. Helen has something. to make her flight. Yeah. How were they? How the heck were they getting I home? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Teleportation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think Gansey had a face and it was the what do you need, Adam? Mm-hmm. That echo. Blue was like Gansey always asking what he needed. Mm-hmm. The mint plant placed on the dash appeared anxiously around Gansey's shoulder. It's a reflection of Gansey himself. Uh-huh. Adam warns Gansey off of saying anything and Gansey says, you don't even know what I was going to say. It's possible I did. Well, it is possible. Adam might be psychic. Mm-hmm. The Suburban was huge behind him. Adam's new car and the pig would fit inside it with room for a bicycle or two. I think he may be exaggerating a little bit. (laughs) I've seen some Suburbans, man. (laughs) Freaking huge. And Adam thinks about the awe the first time he saw the Suburban of, wow, he's rich enough for two cars. Mm -hmm. And like, I get that awe here. And I've experienced it myself, though I think I would admit it to two working cars in my case. Yes, there are many, (laughs) many cars on blocks. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. (laughs) What was I going to say then? The power line shivered above Adam. Something was singing and shaking inside him. He needed to get back soon. That was all he knew. It's the ley line calling out to him. Mm-hmm. Adam <laughs> says they shouldn't start arguing now. And Gansey says, are we? And then visibly checks himself. Adam thinks he needed to stop waiting and start acting. He was no better than Gansey hoping for someone else to wake the ley line. He needed to move. Adam propelling the plot. Uh-huh. He says, I'm going to Fox Way to ask for advice. And that's actually good thinking. Mm-hmm. And yet that's not what he ends up going to Fox Way to do, or at least that's not the thought that he has when he's talking to Blue. Yeah. Gansey opened his mouth. There were a hundred things he could say, and 99 of them would only make Adam angry. <laughs> this is also good thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whispers escaped from the air vents. Fine, I'm coming, I'm coming. Like the voices Welk heard through the Raven Boys. For example, chapter five in the Raven Boys. In Welk's head, unearthly voices hissed and whispered. Words blurred and stretched together. Mm-hmm. And Gansey tells Adam, just flash your lights if anything goes wrong. And that sounds to me like something from a creepypasta or urban legend or a horror movie or a fairy tale set in modern day. Yeah, or just famous last words, uh-huh. which those all would qualify to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chapter 46. It's a gray man POV. The Grey Man drops by Foxway with the revelation that he knows the Grey Warren is a person. He faces his Ten of Swords moment in a call with Green Mantle, but he's going to have to be brave. Braver than that. So the Grey Man shows up at 300 Foxway with a daisy chain he made himself and a pink switchblade. And I'm crying at how sweet and them this is. Yeah. (laughs) A note that this chapter also starts with gifts, although this time only two. Ah, true. The fact that he is pensive and somber after discovering the truth makes me like him even more. And the fact that he innately trusts more enough to bring her this revelation, Mm -hmm. I guess that might be a third gift. Yeah, possibly. 
The Grey Man begins a conversation about how he's figured out the Grey Warren is a person. Mora gives him a, you're going to need a drink for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kel and Persephone were already positioned in chairs arranged where the shaggy lawn gave way to new puddles and old bricks. Did they all know he was coming? Possibly. Could Possibly. They could just be hanging out like they always do. Mm-hmm. Persephone and Kala looked ethereal and pleased in the golden afternoon sunshine. Persephone's hair was a white cloud. Kala's was three different shades of purple. They feel very earth, air, and sea goddess vibe with the three mm-hmm. of them here. He notes after the storm. Storm? Was there a storm? I don't remember. I don't think a storm was mentioned. <laughs> Kala looks at the gray man's drink and says, I can already tell that drink shit. Mora says, how can you tell? Because you made it. <laughs> it's like, God, she and Ronan are so alike. Yes. Heart. Uh-huh. The gray man sags into the chair, defeated, and Persephone asks, so you found out, did you? A secret is revealed. Take a drink. Um. <laughs> Fake drink for Shannon. Fake drink for me. The readings had led him to a clearing with 100 white Mitsubishi evolutions and two drunk boys manifesting their dreams. He had watched them for hours. Each minute, it's impossible dream, overheard snatch of conversation, had hammered in the truth. This feels both incredibly sad and incredibly creepy to me. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for the gray man because of what he feels he's being asked to do. And I'm creeped out at Ronan and Kay being spied on in such a vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would this feel like the dawning slow horror of what he had done and what he was supposed to do? Mm-hmm. The gray man said, I'm a hitman, not a kidnapper. A subtle prod at Kavinsky later. Maybe. Green Mandel had been obsessed with the Grey Warren for at least five years, and yet he seems to know so little about it. Yeah. He also knew he himself had bludgeoned the last Grey Warren to death with a tire iron. But A, how much did the Grey Man actually know about Neil? And B, was Neil actually a Grey Warren? I think we know the answer to both these questions. Yep. Yeah. Persephone's response to finding out there are two dreamers is, well, that makes more sense. Is she putting together what's been draining the ley line? I had more sense than what? (laughs) But yeah, possibly Persephone has been feeling tugs on the ley line in multiple directions. Uh I don't know. Mora is so matter of fact here. We know at least one of the boys. We'd be very angry if you took him. I'd be very angry with you. Yeah, I don't think Kala would be very angry, but (laughs) Mora would be very angry. Kindness had, until very recently, been largely lost in the gray man. I always feel so sad for him. I know. Agreed. This is immensely sad. And so you couldn't explain what nice boys they are? Persephone asked. (laughs) Calla growled. They are not nice boys. Well, at least one of them isn't. She is totally not talking about Kavinsky. (laughs) (laughs) And a pretty good example of how Calla and Persephone see the world differently. Uh Uh-huh. With a deep sigh, he leaned his head far back and closed his eyes, as defenseless as he'd ever been. The trust and defeat. Mm -hmm. The afternoon sun lit his face and neck and muscled biceps, and it also lit Mora looking at them. You'd think they were the teens. Yeah, I do enjoy that they enjoy each other. Oh, me too. He didn't want to kidnap a boy. He didn't want to anger Mora. He (laughs) wanted, he just wanted. I see a bit of similarity between him and Adam here. And Blue and Gansey wanting something uh-huh. more. 
Cicadas sang madly from the trees. It was so impossibly summer. He wanted to stay. Like Gansey, he found home in Henrietta. Mm-hmm. Ta-ta, Mora, don't get murdered. <laughs> oh my god, Kala's so hilarious. My girl, I would marry Kala, but we're too much alike. <laughs> you guys would be at each other's throats all the time. Persephone <laughs> 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 uh. says she would give the switchblade to Blue. Which, and I'm blanking on why I remember turning out to be a very good idea that this happens later. Well, she uses it a couple of times, but most notably to stab people when Piper is kidnapping the gray man and tries to shoot a bunch of people in the cave. Right. Okay. But I mean, yeah. she, is, she does use it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Persephone being reassuring to the gray man, she removed one hand from her glass to gently pat his knee. It feels, again, similar to her relationship with Adam, only this time more motherly than a mentor. Uh Mora slides close. It struck the gray man as a very trusting gesture, putting her back to a hitman. His previously lifeless heart flopped, hopefully. He carefully rearranged the daisy chain in her hair. Hashtag relationship goals. (laughs) It is rather sweet. Basically, because Mora asks him to, the Grey Man calls Green Mantle and tells him the Grey Warren is not in Henrietta, that the readings were pointing to a place and not a thing. And you know, he's kind of only half lying. It's quite a good story, actually. It really is. And you know, and despite what I think of as some convincing evidence, he talks about the fault line, the power surges, the picture he has of the abnormal plant growth. Green Mantle does not believe him. Green Mantle is a butthole. Shannon just said butthole. (laughs) I just love that. Okay. (laughs) Green Mantle asks who got to him. Was it one of Lamagnier's? Then today of all days. I find it interesting that he knows that Lamagnier has men in town. Wasn't Uh that not something that was discussed earlier? Or was it? I can't remember. But anyway, he here admits Lamagnier is in town. Mm -hmm. Then, today of all days, usually it took Green Mantle a few minutes to work himself up to a frenzy, but it was clear the gray man had interrupted one already in progress. Mm -hmm. All these years I've trusted you, you creepy, sick bastard. And now, pot, kettle? Mm -hmm. There was a brief moment where the gray man thought, he will believe me. Then, Green Mantle hangs up on him. Mm Mm-hmm. And a morning dove calls from the big beech tree. And their calls really are persistent and dolorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think we talked when we did the weather prediction. We uh, did, yeah. yeah. About how we used to call them rain crows. <laughs> Morris strokes his hand and then kisses the back of it. It's all really very sweet, inside and outside the context of the scene. Mm-hmm. Mora and the Grey Man decide that this is the Ten of Swords moment, leading to the kind of adorable exchange of, you're going to have to be brave. I'm always brave. Braver than that. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 47 is a Gansey point of view chapter. Gansey finally makes it home and is greeted by Ronan rear-ending him with the dreamed pig. Ronan is happy and has revelations to share about Caveswater, and Gansey is never leaving the pig again. Mm Mm-hmm. Gansey had only a few seconds of warning before the Camaro hit him. What? So bold. I know. I was like, how rude. (laughs) Something had pushed it from behind. So Ronan dreams a new pig, then he crashes it. I know, right? It's like, this does not seem like the best way to make this up to your best friend, Ronan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
The pig's horn quacked again. <laughs> I just find the idea of a muscle car with a horn that sounds like a duck hilarious. I cannot remember what my dad's Camaro's horn sounded like, but he had like, not a bawooga, but like, like some weird horn, like mariachi or something like that. It was bizarre. So weird. <laughs> He heard Ronan's hysterical laugh before he managed to glimpse the pig. Ronan is so giddy with his accomplishment. Uh-huh. It was about the sort of homecoming he should have expected after the disastrous weekend. It has been a rough weekend, and I forget how short of a time period all this takes place in. Yeah, like a week or so. Mm-hmm. Hey, old man, take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> He wanted to preserve the idea of the Camaro whole and entire for a few moments longer. Kay, you fuckhead. There was literally no reason to text Gansey. Mm. I think Kavinsky really thought he could drive Ronan away from Gansey and to him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Ronan yells something about Mennonites and they pull into Henrietta Farm and Garden and home. It was a fine one-stop destination for vegetables, antiques, doghouses, western wear, military surplus, civil war bullets, chili dogs, and custom chandeliers. (laughs) God, what type of place? I want to (laughs) go. I have been to huge semi-permanent flea markets that are a lot like this. Mm -hmm. They're actually kind of fun. Uh I have not, however, met any Mennonites at these places, or at all, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, The hip thing where I'm from is to take trips a few hours north to Pennsylvania to check out the Amish country Uh and get Amish handmade stuff. It was possible Kavinsky had just been jerking his chain. Possible? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. But then he realizes that Ronan is getting out of the Camaro, and he still has the keys in his bag. (laughs) Ronan leapt from the car, and this too was bewildering, because he was grinning, euphoric. It wasn't that Gansey hadn't seen Ronan happy since Niall Lynch died, it was just that there had always been something cruel and conditional about it. Sad face. And he says, not this Ronan, Mm -hmm. meaning this Ronan was not being cruel and conditional. Right. And Ronan says, I'm sorry, man. It was a shitty thing for me to do. So yes, Ronan, it really was. Stealing your best friend's car and wrapping it around a telephone pole is a really really shitty shitty thing thing to to do. do. (laughs) Gansey's eyes were wide. He hadn't thought he would live long enough to hear Ronan apologize for anything. Ronan, so ecstatic. This is the Ronan we never see, but we take this Ronan forward through Blue Lily Lily Blue and the Raven King. Mm Mm-hmm. He's definitely ecstatic and proud. I dreamt this car. I did this. That's from my head. It's exactly the same, man. I did it. (laughs) We basically got the same sentence like five times here, my dude. Yeah. (laughs) I know how my dad got everything he wanted, and I know how to control my dreams, and I know what's wrong with Caves Water. All of these linked in one sentence. I choose to blame Niall as usual. Uh (laughs) Gansy covered both his eyes with his hands. He thought his brain was going to melt. This is a lot to process, especially mm-hmm. after the weekend he's had. Mm-hmm. And Ronan putting a pair of Kavinsky's glasses on Gansey just makes me laugh. Yeah. It dissolved into absolutely wonderful and fearless laugh. The old Ronan Lynch's laugh. No, it was better than that one, because this new one had just a hint of darkness beneath it. This Ronan knew there was crap in the world, but he was laughing anyway. This whole paragraph, it's so important. Especially seeing this from Gansey's point of view versus Ronan's. Yes, this makes it so very clear what a turning point this has been for Ronan. Mm-hmm. Gansey confirms that there's something wrong with Caveswater. Ronan says, me, 
Well, Kavinsky, actually. No, it's not Kay's fault. I'm going to say this again. Don't blame mm-hmm. him. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about your mystical forest. It's mm-hmm. when we're taking all the energy from the line when we dream. And yeah, like we talked about this a little bit earlier. I still say he shouldn't lay all the blame on Kavinsky. But part of it is Kavinsky's fault. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky has been taking way more stuff than Renan takes. Mm-hmm. And Kavinsky's dreaming spot may be Cave's Water as well. It's not super clear. Yeah. This is where a delineation between Cave's Water, the entity, the ley line powering the entity, and the dream forest that Cave's Water was modeled after really comes in handy. Uh, like, their dream spot may be the dream forest, but the dream forest is not Cave's Water. Yeah. So... It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's all confusing (laughs) and also i want to point out the freaking adorableness of gansey rested his cheek against the hot steering wheel that too was comforting he should never have (laughs) gone without this car he was never getting out of it again i know he loves it so much (laughs) it's just like i'm just picturing him to be like oh my car my car, the steering wheel, it burns me. <laughs> but it I'm burns hug it anyway. It burns. <laughs> Gansey asks for a solution. Ronan says, Stop Kavinsky. Really? Why? Like the way your dad was stopped? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. It's like, I don't think Ronan wants to kill Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. I know we disagree, but I kind of see it as Kavinsky is doing more harm to the ley line than Ronan is. Because mm-hmm. he's like, he's taking a lot more from the line. And what he's doing could be seen as causing harm to others, like a lot of what he's bringing out. And so I can totally understand why someone would say that he needs to be stopped. Yeah. Again, I think he was taking stuff from the ley line way before all of this went down. And if anything... The bargain that woke the ley line and caused it to go completely batshit inconstant is more to blame. That's true. It's like not to say that the characters don't feel justified. Mm -hmm. It's just, are they justified? Mm -hmm. And Ronan says, hey, Churchill tried to negotiate with Hitler. (laughs) Cracks me up that Ronan would just try to drop in a history fact. (laughs) (laughs) And Gansey asks if indeed he did. And it appears that the real answer is inconclusive. There were discussions of negotiating with Germany, with Italy as an intermediary, but historians disagree on if it went past closed door debates. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Gansey thinks to himself, this was home. Henrietta, the pig, Ronan, nearly. His Mm. thoughts darted toward Adam, toward Blue and rabbited away. It's like, yeah, that's dangerous ground, bud, and you have not been making it any safer. Shaking my damn head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Ronan asks, how Parrish do? And Gansey says, oh, he brought down the house. And I'm just like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Chapter 48, A Blue POV. Blue bikes herself, the Camaro wheel, the shield boss, and the switchblade to Kala's boxing lesson. She demands that Kala do her magic trick and finds out that time is circular chicken. Wait, circular chicken? I thought this was the raven cycle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Blue is biking. No, not Viking, autocorrect. Uh (laughs) Oh. 
her way to Kala, carrying three items, the Camaro wheel, the shield boss, and a small pink switchblade. I was wondering why you said Viking. Uh-huh. Because Bikingu is the Japanese name for an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's a loan word based on Viking because the first one was a smorgasbord and Viking-themed. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> yep. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Biking, uh, Viking. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting to me, again, three items, three gifts. Yes, it felt important to me as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She thinks that Mora had insisted that she take the switchblade, but really Persephone was the one that had insisted. She Uh just didn't know that. Right. I would like to say that I specifically left this for you. So I'm guessing you like the gods, this girl is me. <laughs> well, no, this whole part, I left this for you oh, to put in. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Blue very much liked the idea of the switchblade. Blue Sergeant Desperado. Blue Sergeant Superhero. Blue Sergeant Badass. She suspected the only thing she would cut the first time she opened it was herself. I'm like, gods, this girl is me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mora's argument for Blue taking the switchblade is the uptick of crime in Henrietta recently. The papers, Henrietta has two, Logan doesn't even have one anymore, mm-hmm. have been reporting break-ins all over. And some people reported seeing a single man's, others two men, others gangs of five or six. The single man and the two men, I can figure out. It's probably the gray man and... Mm-hmm. and uh, the two guys he killed. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the five or six? Like, that I must... Nope. Don't know. Maybe it's just a random roving band of people breaking into people's houses. <laughs> Blue suggests the disparities mean none of it is true. And Mora suggests it could mean they all are. Mm-hmm. And she says, did your hitman boyfriend tell you that? He's not my boyfriend. Yes, he is, Mora. Don't lie. <laughs> also, I was trying to think, does Blue say that about Gansey at any point? <laughs> He's not my boyfriend. and she goes up to the door of the man's house who teaches boxing and he answers the door hello lady lady (laughs) said mike the enormous man who taught kala to box this is very jesse Mm ditley-esque it's like i'm nostalgic for a relationship that hasn't even happened yet Mm, yes i am very much looking forward to seeing him again next book and I can't believe you didn't take this moment to point out the short joke. Mm. <laughs> Mike was as wide as Blue was tall, which, in all fairness, was not very wide. <laughs> I literally drew a scowly face and wrote, ha, ha, ha. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Mike asks, nice, lady. Where's the rest of it? If only anyone knew. <laughs> Blue's guess is, out having a grand old time without me. Still not sure why she's so bitter about not being asked to D.C. And it's not like Gansey took the Camaro to D.C. Uh-huh. Jiminy, Blue. Mm-hmm. Kala is described here as a generous and out-of-breath mountain of psychic. Mm-hmm. And I think that works so well. Yeah. Blue then places the Camaro wheel on Kala's stomach and demands she do her magic trick. I agree with Kala. How rude. Yeah. Kala says he's not alone when he leaves the car behind. Who? Where? Which? When? Mm-hmm. It seems like it would take something pretty momentous to make Gansey abandon the pig. 
The assumption is Gansey, given that it's the Camaro, but it might not be the correct assumption. Mm-hmm. Blue asks, when will this happen? Kala says it already has. It already has with Ronan. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't yet. It hasn't yet with Gansey. Time's circular chicken. And holy cow, that hadn't even clicked with me. We've talked extensively about Ronan abandoning the pig. And it did not dawn on me until you just said it that Kala wasn't just talking about Gansey here. Or could not just be talking about Gansey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We use the same parts of time over and over. Some of us more than others. Hence the Raven cycle. Uh-huh. Yep, this is where we finally start getting more information about what that actually means for it to be a cycle. Mm-hmm. It's like in Noah's POV in The Raven King. The problem with being dead was that your story stopped being in lines and started being circles. It was easy to know everything when time was circular, but it was hard to remember how to use it. Mm-hmm. That's chapter 65. And then from Caveswater. Caveswater was always dying and rising again. When all times were the same, resurrection was merely a matter of moving consciousness from one minute to another. Living forever was not difficult for Caveswater to imagine. Reanimating a human body with a finite timeline was. It was nearly human-shaped. It would fit well enough. Nothing was ever perfect. Make way for the Raven King. That's pages 421 through 423. Okay. And then Blue asks, wouldn't we remember that? And Kala said, I said time was circular. I didn't say memories were. Mm -hmm. Blue tells Kala she's being creepy. And Kala replies, you're the one dealing with creepy things, running with people who use time more than once. Blue thought about how Gansey had cheated death on the ley line and how he seemed to be old and young at the same time. Gansey? Glendower. Glendower uses time over and over. I will admit, though, the first time through, I did think that Gansey was Glendower reincarnate. Mm -hmm. And if, as the characters think may be the case now, Glendower were still alive, just in Mm -hmm. stasis, the using time over and over thing could be an explanation of how that happens. Right. And I'm not completely convinced there's not at least a part of Glendower and Gansey. They're definitely connected. Kala starts humming an archaic, haunted sort of tune. And this reminds me of Gwenthian with kings and queens, blue, lily, lily, blue. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I wonder if she's picking up a bit of that from the shield or or something similar, Mm -hmm. you know. She's talking about the shield boss. Again, he left it behind. Left it behind. The echo felt deliberate. Of course it is. The two items were found together. How does this imply, again, that Gansey and Glendower are tied together by fate? Mm -hmm. The two items were found in the same place and both are a piece of something of great importance to the owner. Mm -hmm. So Blue asks for confirmation that the shield is Glendower's and asks whether or not he's close. Close and far is like already happened and not happened yet. Kala replied. Moore described it to the gray man as it's like a dream or a memory, but forward mm-hmm. about being psychic on page 221. Mm-hmm. Kala, Blue asked suddenly, are you one of those people who uses time, you and mom and Persephone? Kala doesn't answer, but instead asks if Blue has ever felt like there's something different about her or like there's something more. Would Kala know that Blue isn't quite human? Like, That Artemis wasn't quite human just by touching them? I think she does, because she knew what Chainsaw was by touching her. Mm -hmm. And they drive back to Foxway, and there's a cute scene where Kala makes Blue drive because she needs the practice. (laughs) And Adam is waiting for Blue on their front step. 
Well, trouble looks good today, Kella says. An echo of, that's not fun, that's trouble, from the ends of chapters three and six. (laughs) Okay, chapter 49. It's an Adam point of view chapter. Adam's plans of a conversation with Blue crumble around him when, instead of talking about the quest, he confronts her about why she won't kiss him. Accusations fly on both sides, tempers flare, tears are shed, and Adam is left reeling once again. With very little hope, Adam is about to leave Fox Way when he's intercepted by Persephone for mysterious reasons. Mm -hmm. Adam describing Blue's room, canvas silhouettes of trees stuck to the walls, leaves hanging and chains from the ceiling fan, a bird with a talk bubble. Blue has created her very own cave's water. She lives inside of these abstract representations of trees. Absolutely. I feel like a part of her knows her heritage and feels it calling her way before she actually is told what's yeah, going on. Yeah, we pointed that out many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Adam had planned on starting the conversation about Gansey and Glendower, but instead he asks, I want to know why you won't kiss me, and I don't want a lie this time. First, that sounds super accusatory, Adam. He's not wrong, but still. (laughs) And second, again, Adam is progressing the story, pushing the pieces into the places that they need to go. Yeah, I would have worded it a little differently, I think, but Mm -hmm. he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Under Blue's reply of, is that what you came here for? I wrote, it's a fair question. Yeah. The tips of the branches fluttered. The leaves spiraled. It reminds me of the later scene with the leaves falling and the magic of cave's water turning the leaves into goldfish. Uh-huh, it kind of does. Just was reminiscent of that. Blue gets angry back at Adam about the fact that he isn't treating her like a friend. She accuses him of being tight-lipped and not talking to her about what's going on in his life. But he does make this point, which is accurate. They know what they were there for. Gansey knows because he was there. Adam does not talk about his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Blue says that if she were Ronan or Noah, they'd be talking about where you disappeared to and what you wanted to do about that. And I don't know, real things. My comment was the timing may feel off, but the existence or lack thereof of the physical part of your relationship is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's a discussion you need to have. And it's just as important as and related to him not being open with you. Yeah. Yeah, I may have picked a different tact than Adam here, but I agree with him. There was no need for Blue to be at that party. Blue says, that's my point. Did it even occur to you? It's like, seriously, why would it? It was Gansey's party, Gansey's place to invite Blue. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put my finger on it and say that, of course, they are both reacting terribly here. But Blue seems to be using her anger about the situation to deflect Adam's question. Uh Uh-huh. Agreed. And though I would say maybe it's part deflection and more not having the maturity to grasp what she's actually angry about. Mm-hmm. Because she's right, the relationship isn't a healthy one the way it is right now. And neither of them are getting what they need from it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to ask for what they need or even recognize what it is they need from yeah. it. She says, you wouldn't have gone someplace without Gansey, though. Blue snapped. Ironically, the whole fight with Gansey was about how Adam went somewhere without him. <laughs> damned if you do damned if you don't Mm -hmm. blue says i don't want to be just someone to kiss i want to be a real friend too not just someone who's fun to have around because they have breasts and it's odd wording but i feel like this is a fair request it's a fair request but i honestly don't see him as only having her around because she has breasts that's true he likes her breasts but they're not necessary to adam parish (laughs) 
And Adam. Oh, Adam, if you weren't breaking up before, you are now. Calling mm -hmm. her a raging feminist and saying none of what she said had any bearing on the two of you? Mm -hmm. Adam Paris, shame on you. Also, did Gainsey ever actually call Blue a raging feminist? It's quite possible, but it would have been off page. He has often made fun of her being a feminist, mm -hmm. but the phrase raging feminist, not so much. Mm -hmm. Also, fuck off to the both of you. Uh -huh. Adam and Gansey for that one. <laughs> Blue seals her mouth shut and her shoulders start trembling. To see Blue cry, oof. Mm, poor girl. His head was too full, too empty, too askew. He'd walked too far out, right past solid ground, but he couldn't seem to turn around. Mm. Blue finally tells him about the prophecy, saying she didn't tell him right away because she was scared to say true love and scare him off. Back when she actually thought she could cheat fate. Mm -hmm. Adam replies, and now... And Blue responds with a very telling detail. I don't know you, Adam. That's not your fault, whispered the air. You are unknowable. The air whispered it to him. This is the first time that this phrase is applied to Adam Parrish, and it seems to be coming from Cabe's water. Mm. Blue says she told him now because she realizes it doesn't matter, that it's not going to be him. The first of the triple motif in this chapter of it's not going to be you, or it's not going to be you and me. Mm -hmm. The repetition of this phrase is in all of the fights in some form or another, with Ronan and Kavinsky and Adam and Gansey. It's also repeated with Gansey and Ronan. There was never a time that that could have been you and me, we matter. Mm -hmm. And between the gray man and his brother, it looks like it's you and me again. And the voice had the effect it always did, a poisonous venom of memories. Mm -hmm. I do like that Adam catches himself just before a violent outburst, mm -hmm. telling himself that he'd done this before with her and he wasn't going to do it again. Mm -hmm. This alone is growth. He tore apart the anger, limb from limb, focused on the burning, terrible fire in his chest until it went out. Mm -hmm. There had to be some other place he hadn't been yet, some soil where this emotion wouldn't thrive. You'll find it, babe. Mm-hmm. When she blinked, two tears appeared like magic on her cheeks. The fast tears. The ones that were in your eyes and down your chin before you realized you were crying. Adam knew about those. This makes me super sad for both of them. It's heartbreaking. Aww. <laughs> You're gonna make me cry. You need a hug? Aww. Oh, sweetie. I love you. I love you too. Wow, that was... That, <laughs> I don't know why that hit me so hard just all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah, his description of the tears in her eyes as shining little lakes. It's like he can be so romantic. Mm-hmm. But like, holy cow, does he work better with Ronan than with than with Blue? Very true. Adam begins to make it all about him in his head. It wasn't going to be him. Not him with his shabby anger, not his long silences, his brokenness. And this is so personally familiar. <laughs> so yeah. He demands that Blue kiss him to prove her declaration that I wouldn't be him. She gently refuses a number of times. Yeah, no. Just accept no, Adam. No is always the correct answer. Uh -huh. We talked earlier about enthusiastic consent. Yes. And the emotion is like that physical blow, that reinforcement of all of his fears. From earlier, just a page before, he felt it like one of his father's punches. Uh-huh. Adam describes his whole body as, man, what is wrong with me? Aww. It just hit you. Usually I'm the one crying. 
Okay. Adam describes his whole body as being a lack of sensation. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, confession time. I've never actually had a breakup. Mm-hmm. And I get wanting this breakup to feel meaningful. But are all breakups of like six weeks relationships this really this dramatic? <laughs> no, of, of course not. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that some of them don't feel like this. Right. Especially when you're dealing with this kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. And we don't know, but it could kind of be a first for the both of them. Uh, they might not have any experience with how I mean, it's pretty clear that neither of them do. Yeah, I mean, Adam, maybe he's had a date here or there, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Adam thinks to himself, it wasn't going to be him and her. It wasn't going to be him and Gansey. There was no more not here and not now. It was here. It was now. It was just going to be him and Caveswater. I am unknowable. He internalizes this thought that apparently came to him from the ether. Uh Uh-huh. And it's amusing that in this rundown that Ronan is not listed as an option. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately after this thought, he finds himself wandering down the stairs. Another vision trying to creep in. Dissociating again, voices and images flickered around him, pressing crookedly. It's almost a psychotic break, like with Welk. Uh Uh-huh, it kind of is. One voice cut through the dissonance. It was the quietest in the house. Adam, Persephone said, catching his sleeve as he opened the front door. It's time for us to talk. It's a callback to the scene between Mora and Kala on page 105. Mora frowned. In a low voice, she said, I think I need to have a conversation with that boy. Mm -hmm. Someone does, Kala replied, heading up the stairs. Uh Uh-huh. And thus begins one of the most endearing relationships in the series. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And just to wrap up, a post from Maggie's Tumblr. Liz Archer asked, If you could change anything about the Raven cycle, what would it be? And Maggie replied, There were a bunch of scenes where Persephone tutored Adam in blue, lily, lily blue, and I couldn't find a way to make them not redundant, so I cut them. If I was a more clever person, I think I would have figured out a way to keep them without ruining the pacing. It would be nice to see more Persephone. Yeah. Also, there's a really bad typo on the first page of the first printing of The Raven King, and I wished it wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) That would suck. (laughs) Yeah, it would. (laughs) Okay, are we ready to move on? That was it. That was the end of the chapters. It was. It's time for MVC. MVC. Do you have an MVC? I I do, but there were a lot of them and they're all really good. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I like Kala. I like Kala in this. Not because she's exposition monkey, but just because I think, again, her scene is pivotal mm-hmm. for this. But then, like, Kavinsky's pivotal, and uh-huh. Ronan's pivotal, and Gansey's pivotal, and Adam is pivotal, and Blue <laughs> is, is a pivotal, very, and Mora is pivotal, and the Grey Man is pivotal. Yeah, we're heading up to, like, the, the climax. climax of the book, yeah. and before everything is pivotal. Right. I think I would agree with you on Kala because I was having a real hard time between deciding between Kala and the Great Man. Ah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the Great Man also, I mean, it, and Persephone again, uh-huh. and like every single one of them, there is this piece that just went 
and turned uh-huh. in this series of chapters. So I'd be happy to give it to an ensemble cast. Let's do it. Okay, let's give it. It's an ensemble <laughs> cast. I mean, literally everybody really had a part to play in these chapters. And I had a really hard time picking uh-huh. an MVC. Let's, everybody so gets the MVC. This it's an ensemble <laughs> cast. Because I hadn't even thought about Persephone. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, she's in there very briefly, and I uh-huh. think, you know, she has more, but... It's super important. It's going to be super important, so... Well, that, again, was easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, just some last things to wrap up. Maggie Watch? <laughs> Unfortunately, the Maggie Watch this time, to me, is rather sad. Oh, Maggie decided to delete her Tumblr, mm. and with that, we've lost a wealth of resources... I respect and I support her decision, and she needs to focus on more positive spaces and interactions, Mm -hmm. and Tumblr wasn't being that for her, Mm -hmm. and I totally get it. It is making finding all of these metatextual snippets a more difficult Uh task. People did back up some of her stuff, and I put some things in drafts that I really, really needed Mm -hmm. for the future, but it seems like it was something that she had been thinking about for quite a while. She also had deleted her YouTube which I had noticed several weeks before because Mm. I was looking for the Bulgarian bagpipes. Oh, yeah. Because I wanted to reference it and it's not there and that makes me very sad. Mm -hmm. The Bulgarian bagpipes and the little white car racing. Did I ever see that one? But anyway, so Mm. Maggie's Tumblr is gone. There's lots of other stuff going on, of course, but that was the one that kind of hit me the hardest. I was in a little bit of uh, denial and grieving mode there for a while. (laughs) Because like being able to quote from her Tumblr was super helpful. It was super helpful. But you know what? You know, it's not about us. It's not about us. Yeah, (laughs) it's not. It's not about us. And and I absolutely 110% think that she's making a decision that is best for her. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. Totally supportive of it. Yep. All right, supporter shout-outs. Yay! Much happier. <laughs> First and foremost, we need to thank our newly minted amazing patrons. Yes! <laughs> we actually have some. That's amazing. I am so happy. I am so happy as well. I was not expecting this to be, like, so fast. And especially, so I'm going to say Mimi. She was the very first person to pledge and so deserves an extra special thanks. Pledged Mm -hmm. the night that the episode went up, basically. (laughs) Thank you so much to, and I'm sorry again, Andrea, if I pronounce that wrong, Andrea, however you might pronounce it, Jamie, Nancy, Chelsea, and Lynn. Thank you. Your mm. support means so much to us. It really does. Honestly, you're helping us basically cover our monthly costs. And so that's huge for us. Mm-hmm. And if anyone else out there, if you would like to support us, you can visit patreon.com slash ravengirls. And also, if you'd like to do a single one-time donation, please check out our goal for an actual grown-up podcast website <laughs> at coffee, that's ko-fi.com slash ravengirls. And we are hoping to get a few more patrons averaging at $3. Mm-hmm. Just take a look. One of the things that we're looking on putting up on Patreon is actually a behind-the-scenes video of the studio slash my guest bedroom. Yes! So, and one of the other things that I'm thinking about putting up on Patreon soon, some of the outtakes that we've never released before. (laughs) So if you want to hear us being real silly, yeah, 
those will be patron only releases. Yeah. So okay. Just, we don't have tiers right now. It's pay as you like. So if you give us a buck, you get access to everything Absolutely. we put out there. <laughs> Yay. And know that we appreciate you guys no matter what. This is amazing. It really is just like, thank you for your support. Yep. And then we also got a lovely review from San D in Paraguay that said, love, love, love. Aw. Every time I feel like I've reread this series too many times, another episode of this podcast comes out and the urge (laughs) grows stronger. Thank you so much for all your insightful comments and analysis. I can't wait to hear more. And yes, I think I've said it multiple times, but my favorite thing ever is seeing listeners spread all over the world mm-hmm. and knowing that we are getting to share a piece of ourselves with you. Absolutely. And so thank that's, you for supporting yeah. us in Paraguay, Sandy. Yes. That's amazing. So thank you so much. Yeah. It's just everywhere. It's, and it's it blows my mind it, to think of like someone wanting to listen to us in different countries. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is astonishing. And it affects us deeply every single time we hear from you guys. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Mm. All right. Are we ready to wrap up? Uh, I think we are. Okay. Uh. Let's get this show on the over with. On the over with? <laughs> yeah. Let's get this show on the over with. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. Our next episode will cover chapters 50 through 53 of The Dream Thieves, and we'll have a deep dive on rites of passage. Mm-hmm. And I normally say our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule, but it's not. Please just follow us online. Keep in touch with us. Yeah, we're getting close <laughs> to the end of Dream Thieves, so... yeah. But as always, we'd love to hear your contributions. We love having conversations with you. We love having questions. We love hearing from you all, and it's just great. Thank you. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And now we are also on Patreon and Coffee at Raven Girls. Right. And you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out. S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we've referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! Hi, I'm Shannon. we're not gonna get anything fucking done are we okay all right we can do this oh Oh, man okay (laughs) okay okay you ready Mm mm-hmm okay